Hear the word of the Lord. Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. Indeed, we all make many mistakes, for if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches. But a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No. And you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Good morning, Sojourn. Peace be with you. It's good to see you. Uh, I'm about my 11th cup of coffee today, so here we go. Feeling good. Uh, my name's Jonah. I'm one of the pastors. If you're visiting with us, we're excited to have you. Uh, hopefully, we can, we can help you find your next step with Jesus. Maybe not this morning. I'm not sure about that, but we'll see how that goes. Uh, if you're new or you haven't been paying attention for a while, we have a whole wall over there called the How We Grow Wall, which if you're feeling stuck in your faith or you're not sure what is my next step with Jesus, that's a great place to go. And there's probably about 10 or 15 years worth of exploration you could spend just working your way through that wall. And uh, we'll reference it later in the sermon, something in particular on that. Uh, In your bulletin, you'll received or should have received uh, an invitation to serve at Back to School Bash. If you're not sure what that is, uh, every summer, The church buys school supplies, and then we throw this huge block party for neighborhood kids. And we provide usually around 600 sets of school supplies to local elementary school kids, high-quality hot dogs. Uh, We're pushing for brand-name Oreos this year, because I don't remember last year we had the generic Oreos, and I had a problem with that. Um, So we're going to go for the the real deal this year. Uh, Also, just to make it clear, uh, because, you know, sorry, some of my lingering bitterness about church communication almost get the best of me there. Uh, We've been trying to tell you for a few weeks now, we've changed our giving systems around. And so there's some new ways that you can give and hopefully cleaner, easier ways. One of those is recurring giving right on the website. If you currently have a recurring gift, that's where you just have an automatic uh, donation go to the church every week or every month. First, thank you. Those stabilize our giving base and help us plan and try to, I would say, dream responsibly. Uh, But if that's you, you'll be getting an email this week with a video walking you through how to transfer your recurring gift to the new system and make sure you're not double dipping. If you have enough money to give the old way and the new way, don't watch the video that's coming. Just keep giving twice. 
which is which is be fine. Uh, and then finally, uh, I didn't announce this. I usually do this once a year or so, and I didn't announce it one time, and I started getting like panic phone calls about whether or not I had quit. Uh, for the next few weeks, I won't be preaching to try to let my mind rest, get the creative juices going, to get a little bit of space. So I'm thankful to be in a church that encourages that. I'm thankful for the rest of the elder team that uh, is concerned about caring for me and my family. And I'm not quite thankful yet, but I'm almost thankful that I'm just not really needed around here, you know, so that other great preachers will be coming and the mission of the church will move on, which, you know, doesn't everybody want to feel like they're more important than they actually are? So uh, I will be out for a few weeks from preaching. Uh, and once, it's not really a surprise anymore, I guess, but uh, Daniel Wainwright is a pastor that we sent out to Lyon, France, and he's been back a few times. He's going to be preaching for us in July, and we're so excited that he's coming with us and that he'll be sharing um, with us. So we're excited. Keep coming around. Uh, in preparation for this sermon, I'm getting more and more into history. I tend to have too short of an attention span for history, but I'm starting to see more in the value of it and some of the humor in it. Uh, I read about this group from 1972 that called themselves creeps. Um, like that's not what other people called them. They self-identified as the creeps which should tell you something about like, the intelligence and the hearts of these men who said, hey guys, let's have a club and let's call it the Creeps. And it was an acronym, and which the, I just wish this was made up because it's too perfect. Uh, the Creeps was an acronym for the committee to reelect the president. And so think about that. A bunch of politicians saying, guys, let's call ourselves the Creeps and help the president get reelected. <laughs> I just think that's funny, personally. Maybe it's okay if you don't. Uh, so this, they, the creeps worked for President Nixon, uh, and they were members of his reelection committee. You see what I'm saying? Like, you can't make this up. And the same guy, his famous tagline. What was Nixon's famous tagline? <laughs> Can you believe that? Man, so the creeps broke into the Democrat National Committee headquarters, Right? Uh, they stole top-secret documents that the Democrats owned, and they wiretapped the Democrats' phone, thinking we'll get some insider information that will help Nixon get his re-election. They were bad creepers, apparently. Um, they stole the, the documents, but the wiretaps didn't work. So in June of that year, of 1972, they decided to break back in, uh, and their scheme for how they would get out was they taped uh, the doors open, like... You know, you can put tape on the, I don't know what you call it, the thing that comes out when you twist the doorknob handle. You, they taped that so they could just pull it, whatever it's called. Uh, and some security guards saw the tape and they're like, well, this is weird. Called the police, people got arrested, and thus was the Watergate scandal born, right? Some of you were alive then. We're glad you're here. Uh, you know, you remember what that was like. Now this, so I knew about Watergate and like the broad strokes of it. Uh, I, what I didn't know were some of the crazy details, like them being called the creeps. Uh, but then also, so of, of course, Nixon totally denied his role in anything that happened, right? Like, no, 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 this, this wasn't me. And in his denial, he fired the special prosecutor hired by the judicial branch. There was a special prosecutor hired to investigate Nixon. Nixon said, oh, you're fired. And that will maybe take care of the investigation, I guess. Uh, later, we found out that he ordered the CIA to impede the FBI, which can you imagine being the CIA agent getting that order from the president of the United States? Make sure the FBI doesn't catch me. Uh, and in the course of the investigation, 
it was revealed that Nixon had basically tapped his own phones in the Oval Office, right? He, so he had all of these tapes that were recorded conversations of him with other people. And he thought no one was ever going to hear it. Uh, the courts ordered him to release the tapes. He refused, right? And his attorneys gave all, you know, it's executive privilege, presidential privilege, all this kind of stuff. Eventually, over kind of overwhelming evidence that it was Nixon steering the ship and he was deeply involved, he resigns, the court order is upheld, and he's got to release the tapes. Now, what's fascinating, and some of you, you know, don't shout it out right now if you think I'm wrong, but we can talk about it afterwards. I talked to people who were alive then and did a bunch of reading this week. Uh, as best I can tell, up to the point that the tapes were released, there were still people in Nixon's corner, right? There were still people saying, man, this is all a witch hunt. This is the Democrats trying to do something here, pull one over to the Republicans. Look at how, look at the economy. These are just people who don't understand what's going on in Vietnam. These are just communists. Or these are, you know, there were still people that were in Nixon's corner. Uh, despite his firing of the special investigator, despite the lies, despite the truths that had come out, there's still people that were kind of on board with President Nixon and his second term. But then the tapes came out. Uh, and again, these were recordings of his unguarded voice, the, the voice that came when he thought he was talking in silence, that he thought no one would ever hear him. Man, Andy Davidson bringing the bread. <laughs> the service is saved. I'm glad that's there now, and that's always awkward. You ever notice, and on the night he was betrayed, Jesus said, where's the bread? Um, <laughs> we'll get there later. Uh, so all of a sudden, the, the public at large hears the voice of Nixon, who he really is. And, and what, they, what they heard was a coarse man, um, a nasty man, right? A, a mean, angry, a bitter man. All of a sudden, behind the curtain, seeing his voice and the words that came out of his mouth, all of a sudden, people said, oh, this is who he really is. They, they saw through the facade of the political platform and all of the, I don't know, grandstanding, and they said, this is a, this is a bad man. It, it was when his words, unfiltered, unguarded, were revealed to the public, that public opinion really turned from him, and people said, enough of Nixon. I think that this story uh, perfectly illustrates for us what James is trying to teach us. Last week, we, we talked about the power of words, particularly from a father to a child. If so if you missed that, I really encourage you to go listen to that. We're not going to talk quite as much about the power of words this morning. But I want to make it clear that, and I think this is what James is saying, words don't just have power out there like to shape other people or to shape events out there. They also have incredible power in us to shape us. And they also reveal who we really are to other people. Words have power in the world, but they also have power over our own souls. And they also have the power to show us who we really are. And so as, as James gets going here, he, he makes this point about halfway through verse or halfway through chapter three, um, about there basically being two kinds of words, two categories of speech that are out there. So this is what he says in verse 10. He says, blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. And so I think these are maybe not perfect, but pretty good overall categories for what the Bible says you can do with your mouth. You can bless or you can curse. Uh, and a real simple way to make sense of this, to bless someone is to give them life. 
Again, we, we talked about this last week, the life-giving power of words. And some of you have experienced this. Someone says they believe in you or they affirm you or your spouse gives you that perfect encouragement. You know, someone says something to you and you're like, yes, I can do it. That's invigorating and, and life-giving. That's blessing somebody with your words. So the flip side of that is to curse someone, which is to use your words to take life. One of the one of the big things James is trying to say to us, and I think it agrees with the rest of the Bible, is that words have a life to them, okay? There's an, there's an essence to them, and they affect the world around us, either giving life or taking life, building people up or, or taking them down. So again, to curse someone is to use your words to take the life out of them, to take the wind out of their sails, to crush them, to make them feel small. There's, there's all kinds of ways that we could put it. Um, if you want to see more examples of what this looks like, uh, I would encourage you to go to the book of Proverbs. If you're here this morning and you could go home right now and know I've got a problem with my mouth, I would encourage you to go spend some time with the book of Proverbs. It's filled with issues about your mouth and what to do about your mouth. I just want to give you two examples to hopefully get us all on the same page about what this is saying. First uh, Proverbs 10, too much talk leads to sin. This is awesome. Be sensible. Keep your mouth shut. Right? Like, so listen, you can go read other translations. Here's the essence. If you talk too much, you're eventually going to start sinning. Um, and not, notice it doesn't just say some of you are ramblers, right? I'm a rambler. I say too much. It's saying you won't just get bored people. Sometimes people talk too much because they're worried they're not being understood, and then they keep talking because they're worried that the person is zoning out, and they're mis- it's like, yeah, that's a real possibility if you talk too much. But notice how it makes a connection to sin. If, if you're rash with your words, so these are like the shoot from the hip people. I don't, like, some people say this as like a badge of honor, like, I just don't think, I just say it, I just say it. And it's like, have you noticed what happens when you do that, right? If you just shoot from the hip, if you're constantly just firing away without thinking, without processing, this is telling you, you're going to end up sinning, okay? Real actions, real consequences. And here's some of the consequences. Proverbs 12, there's one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. So notice, other translations will say words spoken in a hurry or, you know, careless words, rash words, pierce. Think about a sword thrust and, and the damage that it can do. Rash words, Words that are careless, thought, said without thinking, they penetrate people and, and they do real true damage. Some of you, again, know this. Some of you know the power of words to build you up and bring you life. And others of you know what it feels like for someone to pierce you with their words. Maybe it's the person who knows just the right words to say to, to really hurt you. Maybe it was the person who was careless with their words and the speech pierced you. It, it cut you down to the core. And then these words rattle around in your soul like shrapnel. Like some of you are still carrying around words that were spoken to you because words have the power to pierce us, especially hurtful words, especially rash words. And so here's the idea that I think Proverbs is trying to tell us about our mouth. And James clearly alludes to it here. An uncontrolled mouth deals unimaginable damage. If you don't have your mouth under control, you will create a forest fire of chaos around you. And like a sword thrust, it can do lasting, deep damage to the very core 
of who we are. I picked on the nursery rhyme or the, whatever it was last week, and I'm, I'm going to do it again. The whole sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That thing, like, at best, it's naive, um, if not outright dangerous. It, it should say something more like, well, sticks and stones can only break my bones. Like, worst case scenario, if someone comes at you with a bat, is like a broken rib or something, right? But, but words, man, names, careless speech can pierce the soul and shape everything about you. Shape the way you see yourself, the way you show up in relationship, the way you think about yourself. These are the possibilities. Your words will bring life to people or your words will take life from people. And I think some people want to resist Scripture's teaching on our tongues because they, they think it only affects other people. They think it's just a sin that gets them out there. And so I don't really necessarily need to deal with it personally because it's not really affecting me. It just affects other people. This is kind of the lie that liars believe. Um, I've met liars that lie like to do damage to somebody or to say I did this even though they didn't in order to hurt somebody. Most of the time though, the person who lies has a belief that they get away with it. They, they think they saved themselves from something, right? Or some degree of exposure. And now I've gotten away with it. Now I'm safe. And there's that lie of thinking it only affected those people out there. Look at what James says about this. Verse six, the tongue can set your whole life on fire. Look, church participation time. Whose life does it set on fire? Yeah, your life, right? It doesn't say this, the tongue will set everyone else's life on fire. It says, no, the tongue will set your life on fire. And then it can do this practically, right? Like you mouthed off to your boss and he's like, well, that's it, you're fired. And now you gotta go find a job. I mouthed off to a police officer one time and I got an outrageous ticket, right? And maybe I should have got put in jail, I don't know. Like you can say something you shouldn't and it'll have some practical influence on your life. But, but look at it deeper, more than just the obvious things. Rash words, penetrating words, deceitful words, they create isolation, like if, if you're constantly mean to people, s s snapping at them or, or criticizing them, have you noticed how suddenly people stop wanting to be around you, right? Like if you're mean, people don't want to be around you all that much. Or if you, if you lie, have you ever noticed how exhausting it is to manage lies? Like, because you say one little lie, maybe with good intention, and then someone else talks to you and you got to remember the lie that you told them and so you can keep it all straight. And all of a sudden, either people don't want to be around you because they don't know what's going to come out of your mouth or maybe you're too scared to be around people because the lies will fall down and you'll be exposed. People won't want to be around you when your mouth is out of control. And in many instances, you won't let them around even if they do because it's far too threatening that you could be exposed, that your house of lies could crumble, or they could see what your mouth is in service of. And I think in a lot of ways, it's some kind of defensiveness, protecting who we really are or what we're afraid that we're who we really are. And, and I think James alludes to this. In verse five, he says, the tongue's a small thing that makes grand speeches or Boasts is the idea here. Our mouths tend to be filled with boasts and curses. 
which are both ways that we steal life from others to try to build ourselves up. Have you noticed about that? What's going on in the person who's got to constantly let you know about all their wonderful achievements? Who's constantly got to say, oh man, this amazing thing happened. What's going on with the person that's got to lie or critique or all of these forms of disordered speeches? Underneath that is the belief that there's something wrong with us. There's something I need to hide. There's something I need to cover. Fundamentally, we are not good enough. So many of us have disordered mouths because we're scared and we're trying to protect ourselves. And James, welcome to church, right? I'm glad this has been an uplifting Sunday for you guys. It gets even worse than all of that, okay? Here's what James says next. No one can tame the tongue. It's restless and evil, full of deadly poison. He starts chapter three almost sounding hopeful. If you could control your mouth, you would be perfect, right? He's saying, if you can... If you could climb Mount Everest, you could climb any hill in Charlestown State Park, right? Like if you do the hardest one, if you do the biggest one, there's nothing you can't do. And you're like, okay, James is going to tell me how to do it, right? We're going to get this under control. And then he tells you how awful you are or how messed up your mouth is. And then he lays this beauty on you. No one can tame the tongue. If you could control it, you'd be perfect. But hey, guess what? No one can control it. So allow me to summarize your tongue is restless. Do you see that? You can't keep your mouth shut. You guys know this. If you're married, you know this. You've, you've said the thing, and as it's floating out your mouth, you wish that you could grab it, but it's, it's gone. You know, like, you, again, you shoot from the hip, or stuff just comes out, and there's times where you know the right thing to do is just be quiet right now, and, but you can't, and, and you talk. So, it's restless. You can't keep your mouth shut. It's evil. It brings death and curses to people. It's full of deadly poison, killing the one who tastes it, both you and other people, right? Some of you fill your minds with these awful words, like, like putting clothes on in the morning. You dress yourself in awful words about yourself. You repeat what's been said to you over years and years and years. Some of you are like Nixon. You've lied and you've lied and you've backed yourself into a corner long enough and desperation has set in. And the, the problem gets even worse when you see James's observation. Nobody can tame it. The, the lesson, this, I know I warned you guys about this last week. And maybe you came being like, but he's going to tell us what to do, right? Like, I know my mouth's messed up and I'm going to leave on Sunday and it's going to be fine. I don't. I can't do that for you, right? It's, there is no straightforward solution to fixing your tongue. It is beyond your control. Before there's, there's any hope of, of transformation, you have to see your situation with absolute clarity. This is as simple and as direct as I can put it. Your mouth gets you into all kinds of trouble. Like, amen, somebody? Yeah. Amen. Your mouth gets you into all kinds of trouble, both what you say and what you don't say. It, it works both ways. Some people think if I'm just quiet, then I'll avoid all problems, right? Then I, I won't, you can't hurt anybody with silence. And that's passivity is just as much a problem with our mouths as aggression is. You, you get into all kinds of trouble because of your mouth. Your mouth is a poison. Your mouth kills other people and yourself, and it's beyond your control to change. Now, if, if you hear that and you're like, well, I feel a little bit trapped, then like you're, you're almost understanding the gravity of the situation that the scriptures is putting you in. If you're like, well, I feel, 
you know, under the microscope or like, yeah, trap. The, the Bible's saying it's, it's even worse than that, okay? So if you're feeling that, you're on the right path, believe it or not. So what do we do? Uh, excellent question. Um, first, I would encourage you to take the long game in mind. There, there will be no, any book that says like, read this and your speech will get better I, is either lying to you or is naive. Um, take the long game. This will take a long, long time to untwine. Um, I think before any talk about fixing or solutions, we need to become, this is such a huge problem in our church, disordered speaking, disordered words, that I want us to spend some time this week acquainting ourselves with our mouths. Um, here's what I mean. I want you to spend the next week watching your mouth and not like watch your mouth, young man. I mean, observe the words coming out of your mouth. Pay attention to what you say. Uh, you know, in verse 11, is this up here? Let's see if it's up here. Yeah, there it is. Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? That's a rhetorical device because it's obviously no, right? You don't get figs off of um, an olive tree and, or a grape off of an olive, whatever, you know? Olives don't grow on fig trees. Figs don't grow on grapes. James is alluding to the revealing nature of our words. If you watch what comes out of your mouth, it will reveal to you who you really are. This is what happened with Nixon, all right? His unguarded speech was revealed. And people said, oh, that's who he really is. So most of us have an incredibly gracious, charitable view of ourselves, at least externally. We think we know our motives. We think we know how other people think about us. And so we don't pay much attention to ourselves. James is saying, if you want to see your heart and know who you really are, watch the words you speak. So, first of all, to my Christians addicted to doing things, I don't want you to try to change a thing this week. I don't, I don't want you to make any commitments about how I'm just going to be friendlier this week. I'm not going to be critical. I'm going to be encouraging. Like, I don't want you to say any of that stuff. I just want you to spend the next week paying attention to what you say. And here's some things to look for. Uh, how often are you defensive? And, that, and that's where you find yourself saying things like, well, let, let me explain. Let me explain what I was trying to say. Well, what you don't understand is you feel that thing rising in your chest, coming to your defense to try to protect yourself somehow, right? You guys know what I mean by this? How often do you find yourself getting defensive? Uh, how often are you critical of someone else or something else? So how often are you saying this shouldn't be that way? Oh, what this? Or pointing out the flaw in something. How often are you speaking to the negative thing about something? Um, how this is, maybe this will scare you since I'm the preacher. Um, how often do you distort the truth? Right? Mo most Christians I know aren't just like outright blatant lying, saying whatever. Um, but there's lots of distortions that happen. Fudging the truth, what, what I do, uh, I tend to embellish stories. I, I tend to say, exaggerate just a little bit fudge a little detail, and it'd be things like you go out and have a burger, and it's a good burger, right? It's a fine burger, and then someone says, how was it? And you're like, oh my gosh, it was amazing. This burger place is going to change your life. You know what? You, you just, it can't, a six out of 10 can't be good enough, so you got to make it like a, a seven out of 10. How often do you just fudge details? You just exaggerate a little bit, embellish a little bit. Um, how often do you raise your voice? What's that about? How often do you raise your voice? Here's another difficult one for me. 
Preachers are not excluded from having mouth problems, just FYI, okay? Uh, How often do you voice an emotion or reaction without thinking about it? I had a friend years ago tell me, never never share publicly what you haven't processed privately. Let Facebook users understand. Um, I had another therapist tell me one time, just because you feel it doesn't mean you need to speak it which is a huge lesson for those of you with the raging rivers of emotions running inside of you. Just because you feel it doesn't mean you need to speak it. And saying, I'm just being honest, is like, you know, like, you can just be honest and destroy somebody sitting across from you. How often do you voice an emotion or reaction without considering it? Now, that's risky, guys. Like, and I'm telling you, that will be uncomfortable. If you want to be really extreme, Um, or if you see your condition is serious enough that it's time to take serious action. Uh, What you want to do from there is to then ask other people, how do my words make you feel? How do my words affect you? How do you experience me? And you'll have to take that proverb seriously. Rash words lead to sin. Shut up and keep your mouth closed, right? Listen, take the step of faith to believe like maybe they're right. If you're you're gonna invite someone into your life this way, take the risk of assuming that they may be right. How do you experience me? How do my words affect you? And, And when you have this together, when you have some information from your own observations and other people, then say, what does this reveal about the condition of my soul? And I don't mean that in terms of like, are you saved or not saved? What does this say about the state of my heart? I believe with everything I am that broken mouths reveal broken hearts. So let's, just with the examples pulled out of James, some of the ones that I used, what's going on with the person who lies? I mean, almost always underneath the lying person is a terrified person, afraid of being exposed. So they lie to maintain this image. What's underneath the exaggerating person? It's a lonely person, someone who's terrified of being rejected. So they have to exaggerate, make stuff look bigger so that you can stay with me. What's underneath the boasting? person who's always bragging about what they've accomplished, a deeply insecure person, afraid of failing. Like, do you, do you guys see? And, and I could do this all day. I kind of work with mouths for a living. In every instance where our mouths are disordered, there is a functional rejection of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, And maybe you say, well, I believe. It's like, yeah, 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 I get that. I get that you believe and that you're confessing that. Um, But functionally, how is it showing up in your life? And when our mouths are disordered, there's a functional rejection of the gospel. And what's, what's more, no amount of talk better can fix your heart. So this week, just pay attention to what you say. Have the courage to look at yourself honestly. Have the courage to ask other people some of those tough questions. And again, you'll have to take that proverb seriously and close your mouth and listen to others. But I think more importantly, you're going to have to learn how to start doing this with God. Most of us, have you ever, you don't have to answer this, but you ever had that thought of like, if God would just tell me what to do, I would do it, right? If God would just, if I could just hear the voice of God, I would do whatever he tells me to do. And, And most of us, you know, imagine if you had a friendship, 
let's call your friend Jack. And you call Jack like two or three times a month. And when you call him, you're like, Jack, I need you to do this for me. I need you to do this for me. Here's the things I wish you had done differently. Here's the things I'm confused about why you haven't done yet. You go on like that for 35 minutes or probably more like four and a half minutes on the way to work if you see where the illustration is going yet. You, you do that, right? You just blab at them. Do this better, do this different. Why haven't you done this? What's the matter with this? Great talking to you. And you hang up the phone and you do that for like 15 years. And then someone says, what's your friendship with Jack like? And you're like, he's like, he never talks to me. I just never hear a word out of his mouth. If he, would, if he would just tell me what he wanted in this relationship, I would be happy to give it for him. And then a good counselor would look at you and say like, man, you're dumb, man. Like you don't hear his voice because you're not listening. If you watch your words, you'll see that you can't fix this. You don't need help talking better. You need to be saved. You need to be rescued. And the promise of the gospel is that by receiving Christ, you're given a new heart, which Jesus says out of the overflow of your heart, the mouth speaks. So you need a new, a new heart. And, and the problem is, yes, confessionally, we say, okay, the gospel says I can get Jesus's life in place of my life. I get his identity instead of this identity I've built for myself. But for so many of us, this has remained a profession of faith and not a possession of faith. Something that we speak is true, but we haven't experienced it as true, or we haven't let it do business with the deep parts of who we are. It remains completely conceptual. We're like a kid who gets bought a Ferrari on his 16th birthday, and he's like, yeah, I got a Ferrari. I know I have it. Here's the car keys. I have no idea how fast it goes. I have no idea how to drive it. You've never driven a Ferrari? I haven't. You own a Ferrari. I know, but I don't know how to drive it. And we have all of this that's available to us, and we never make access to it. We, we never experience it. When we become children of God by faith, we have to learn to listen to the words of our Father. To this point, I would argue almost all of you have had the words of others dominate your life. Or maybe the words others spoke to you that you then repeated in your mind over and over, voices of parents, of coworkers, of spouses, your own voice. We need a truth that can sink into our souls, clear the shrapnel, and actually heal us. We need to actually hear the voice of our Father saying, you are loved and you are safe. We can say we think that's true, but until we're hearing it and experiencing it, we're not learning how to drive the car that's been given to us. And, and listen, when that voice is real, the voice of God saying, I love you and you're safe, the boasting will stop. Why? Well, you'll realize I'm saved by grace. My Father loves me. You'll be able to say crazy things like, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And you're allowed to think of me, whatever you think of me, because the only voice in the universe that matters has showered his love upon me. All of a sudden, I don't, I don't need to brag so much. When that voice is clear, the exaggerations stop. Why? Because I know my father loves me. And that means I am enough. The almighty maker of heaven and earth looks at me and says, I want you. So I don't need to exaggerate so much. I'm not hiding anymore. When, when that voice is clear, the lying stops. Why? Because he says he loves me and that I'm safe. And if I know I'm safe with him, I don't have to hide anymore. So we've got a, a field guide out on that How We Grow wall that's called creatively enough, listen. How to hear the voice of God. It's not a quick fix. 
Um, it's a way of entering into a more participatory relationship with God. Uh, we think it's got really helpful stuff to teach you how to hear the voice of God and recognize it. As we learn to do this, our souls will become filled with better words, pure words that reshape our hearts, heal old wounds, and allow us to live with, with greater transparency. And I'm pleading with you, if your mouth is a problem, you have more problems in your life than you probably realize, and you're missing out on the joy of a clear conscience. Can you imagine what it would be like if you didn't feel like you had to hide all the time? Can you imagine what you would do or how it would feel if you didn't have to micromanage every one of your words or deal with the shrapnel, the collateral damage that your mouth has created and continues to create? That field guide is like a 10-year application, okay? So if you take it today and you mouth off on Tuesday, that doesn't mean it's not working. It just takes a long time to experience the joy and learn how to live as a redeemed person. Something simple I'll leave you with today. So that's a 10-year application. Here's a right now application. So one final observation about life. Have you ever noticed... Um, that no experience is complete. I would just say nothing in your life is complete until it's been shared, until you've invited another human being into it. And it's just how humans work. We're made this way. That's why you take pictures of food on Instagram. That's, like, that's why Instagram doesn't have pictures of like, here I am at Kroger, another normal day, right? It's like something amazing happens and you've got to go share that. That's why we share all of our baby pictures. It's why you, you text your family when you get a promotion. Great things happen, and you share it. Um, no celebration is complete until you've shared it. And I promise you, if you go have an amazing meal all by yourself in New York City, as soon as that's done, you're going to go tell somebody that it happened, or you're going to send a text. Nothing is complete until it's shared, and no healing is complete until our bodies are involved. Some of you had something awful years ago happen, and you just like, I've never let myself cry about it. And you wonder why you're still bitter and angry, right? Like, until it's experienced in our body, it's not real in our bodies. So James says, curses or praises can come out of our mouth. They don't come out at the same time. It's one or the other. And here's something that I believe with everything I have. The truth of the gospel sinks more deeply into our souls, becomes more real as we listen to the voice of God and respond in our bodies. Like the Christian faith, there's a point of decision in the Christian faith. Receive him, right? Choose him today. Receive him. And, and what happens? The instruction is when people receive Christ, what do you do? What's the first thing you do when you're a new Christian? Someone shout it out. Yeah, that's not what I was going for. But I think that's right. What does Jesus say? This is what you have to go do. What's the command? Man, we got a long ways to go. Go, make disciples of all the earth, blanking them, baptizing them. Oh, we got me nervous now. You got me nervous now, church. Go make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father. The first command Jesus gives to anybody is be baptized. And so if you've never been baptized, now is a good time to get baptized, okay? You fill out a connect card, we'll baptize you next week. Why? Isn't that interesting? Get your body involved identify in your body with the burial and resurrection of Jesus, with your body, 
Show solidarity with Jesus in front of a community of people. So carry it in your body. Share it with people. This is not a coincidence. So my, my point is, if what we've said today about the gospel of Jesus is true, how would you respond in your body? Some of you are waiting for the switch to flip where suddenly you believe this and it's just natural. Sometimes our responses are natural. Other times we get our body involved, right? We have to get our bodies involved to make these truths sink more deeply into us. So listen, if despite your lying, if despite your criticizing, your cursing, your wounding, your uncontrolled mouth, the God of the universe still loved you enough to die for you, to adopt you into his family and say you are safe forever. If that were true, how would you respond? Like I see the way you guys respond over a meal. I see the way I respond over a car. I see the way we respond over beautiful weather or sporting events or whatever. And then we gather as the church and we hear the message of the king of the universe rescuing us and our It's like we leave our bodies in the parking lot for any number of reasons. And I'm not saying like go crazy, okay? Like you got to paint this, we're going to start running laps and everyone's going to be a lap running church today. I'm saying, what is something small? If you believe that this was true, what is something small that you could start doing today? And by small, I mean like this is the sojourn posture of worship, right? Like our hands are in our pockets and we're swaying. And if we're really into it, we're like, yes, right? (laughs) So if you believe that this happened, what if you did something like that? And that was, I'm saying that's it, you know? Take one step and get your body involved. I know you can't sing, right? Like, lots of us can't sing, but, but what if this was true? No one at like the Colts game is like, but I scream off pitch, you know what I mean? They get into it and they, they go. Maybe like, one of these. And you're like, well, I don't raise my hand in church. But you raise your hand in so many other places. Like that is the, the, the posture of human joy, right? Something good happens and you go like that. And sometimes you will feel it. Like sometimes you have that Pentecostal deal. And other times you're like, this is something I need to put my hands up for. Like this is something I need to respond for. Get your body involved. Like listen, Christian, if you want to start working on getting curses out of your mouth, fill your mouth with praises. So Christian... Praise the Lord. And my encouragement is get your body involved. Use your body and watch what happens as it sinks more deeply into your soul, as it becomes more real. Listen, take your hand out of your pocket. I don't know. Clap a little bit. Sing. It does, I'm not asking you to go crazy, but I'm saying while you're waiting on this new heart to emerge, while you're waiting to learn how to live as a redeemed person, how would you respond if you believed that this was true? And so this is why we fill our eyes with the gospel every week. This is what is true. So listen, we do this every week. Well, one last church participation deal. How do we begin communion? On the night Jesus was betrayed, betrayed, right? Does that, that never gets old to me. That blows my mind. On the night Jesus knew who you were, that he knew what you would do, that he knew what his his own people would do with their mouths. You ever notice how Jesus is so heartbroken with a kiss, Judas? With a kiss, Even knowing that was coming, what does Jesus say? He's like, listen, I know you are a mess. 
period. You, you think you're hiding. You're like Adam in the garden, thinking you're hiding behind a bush from the God who made the bush. He's, you're not fooling anybody. And Jesus, knowing what you did, said, but look, my body will be broken for you, for your disordered speech, for all of your, your craziness and all the hurt you've done. My body will be broken for you. After the meal, he took a cup of wine. He said, this is what makes you safe with me. It's my blood shed for you. This is what secures you in your relationship with me. Here's, it's all an elaborate, beautiful way of Jesus saying to those of us in the garden, you don't have to hide anymore. It's safe to come out. And what if this was true? What if he really has paid for everything you've ever owed? What if he really has secured you with God forever because of his blood? If that were true, how would you respond? Maybe, like, maybe you'd receive Christ and say, okay, I don't know about all these other issues, but that looks beautiful and I want to know that guy. Then, then do that. Do that today. We'll baptize you next week. If you're a Christian, how would you respond if that were true for you? One way that we respond and we get our bodies involved is through communion where we have to move. We have to eat something and taste something, which think about all that means about God's intention for us. Go if you don't want to do any of the mouth stuff, just go think about that for a while. He says, remember me by taking something in your mouth that becomes you, right? It becomes you. Your body will take this and my spirit and presence will fill you. It's, it's gloriously beautiful. Uh, our tradition is to come forward, rip off a piece of bread, dip it in wine or juice. A wine has a piece of twine wrapped around it and there'll be gluten-free elements to my left, your right. Um, I'll pray for us and then Christians, let's come remember uh, the beauty of the gospel. Let's pray.